Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we wrap up our sermon series from the book of James. In a sermon titled Mission, Pastor Bob discusses how to bring wanderers back to the truth and why it's important that we do. We'll talk about what it means to be a good Christian, and we'll explore the differences between being a Jesus admirer and a Jesus follower. All that and more is on the table today as we dive into James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Bob, the last two verses in James' letter, James's letter, implores listeners to bring wanderers back to the truth. What is the truth that James is referring to here? Well, the, the truth is the faith, uh, the content of the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, and James calls Jesus the Lord of glory. The truth isn't just the moral law. It's, just, it's not just the Torah from the Old Testament, because it is the word of truth that gives us new life, as James talked about, and the law becomes the law of liberty in Jesus as we heard in chapter 1. So from the way James tells the story, the truth is that God, the creator judge, has made a way for us to be reconciled to him through his son, Jesus Christ. So God is good and merciful. We should trust him and find him worthy of our most strenuous efforts at consistency and righteousness. God is no fool. He will not be presumed upon or lied about. There is no easy believism or cheap grace. Mm. Grace is costly. It costs the life of Jesus. So we should live in response to that grace. But ultimately, we need rescuing from death, and our sins need covering. No amount of good behavior will suffice. We need Jesus. So the truth Hmm. is Jesus given for us. So to bring someone back to the truth, we need to know that these people have been wandering. So what might be an indication that either you or someone uh, or someone that you know has been wandering from the truth? Well, I mean, there certainly can be indications in lifestyle, right? So you can look at the frequency and depth of of sin. Um, Is the frequency of our known willful sins growing, or are they becoming more extreme? Mm. Uh, This could be an indication of wandering from the truth, but perhaps a better indicator is our frequency and depth of repentance. Hmm. Are we repenting less? Do we see less reason to repent? Does our sin hurt us less? Uh, this, in my mind, is a more urgent indicator. And, and related to frequency and depth of repentance is simply our attitude to the things of God. Is worship and fellowship with God's people very optional to you? Uh, mm. Does the gospel provide any comfort for you? Does Jesus seem to have any legitimate claim on your life? Is he compelling in any way? Some people run hard from the truth, and some people just kind of drift away. But in general, the best telltale outward sign of wandering from the truth that the church must use is when serious sin goes unrepented. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the, you know, the, 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 the most important thing that we have to look for as elders uh, representing the church and leading and, sh- and shepherding the church is when there is unrepented sin. So any connection here with the parable of the lost sheep? You know, Matt, I was thinking about using the illustration of the third parable in that series from Luke 15, right? There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost brother, Mm -hmm. or as we know it, the parable of the prodigal son. And I do think there are connections here, um, particularly with the the prodigal son. And what James is saying in in these last few verses is, don't be the older brother. 
Yeah. Remember the younger brother. He not only wanders from the truth, I mean, he ditches the truth. He spits in his father's face, basically. Yeah. And the young man finds his way back home, but his older brother won't welcome him or celebrate his homecoming. He thinks this is just too easy. This He's been faithful and worked hard for his dad. This kid can go off and do what he wants and then return to a hero's welcome? That just doesn't seem fair. Hmm. And uh, some scholars say that the older brother has already failed, that in this culture it would have been his role to go after his younger brother and bring him back. But either way, that the idea is that we who remain, like the older brother, have a tendency to build ourselves up in our eyes and then look down on the people who stray or fail or reject the truth. <laughs> and James is commanding compassion towards those people. Go and get them. Bring them back home. Right? Don't be like the older brother. And, and we need to feel the emotional difficulty of that sometimes. When someone close to you rejects you and your community, that hurts. But this mm-hmm. is what Jesus was doing heading into Jerusalem, dying for this city that rejects him. And we reject him too, right? I mean, it's Good Friday. We're going right. to celebrate that or recognize that tonight. So if Jesus lives in us, we can do the same now, right? And we'll do it when we realize that we are objects of mercy too. He came after us. We are the wanderers as well. So if we've been shown mercy, how can we deny it to others? So let's say that we, we recognize someone in our life who has clearly wandered from the truth. Mm-hmm. How do we bring them back to the truth without seeming, I don't know, self-righteous? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that you know we need to recognize here that the truth is not some packet of propositions and axioms floating in the air. Mm-hmm. Truth is lived. Our truth is the story and values by which we order our lives. So bringing people back to the truth of the gospel means having our life shaped by the gospel. Um, Some people do successfully call people back to the truth, but it's a different kind of truth, a truth of works righteousness and and a self-righteous community. People can do Mm. that too. Um, And if you remember in the prodigal son parable, this is what the prodigal assumed he was returning to. right? His his offer to his dad uh, was going to be, take me back as an employee. Right? right, he thought right. he was returning to the the truth of of works righteousness. So the point is, you bring people back to the truth you are living. It takes mm-hmm. a very special person, a great actor, to successfully call people to something they aren't living. So if you're calling people back to the gospel, it's because the gospel is good news for you. It's because mm-hmm. Jesus has become compelling to you. You personally have had your soul saved from death. Your sins personally have been covered by Jesus. So when you are living and calling people back to this truth, it's really hard to be self-righteous about it because mm-hmm. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom you are the chief, right? Yeah. Paul tells us that this is a, a worthy uh, saying that, that we, should, we should accept. So if calling people back to Jesus makes us sound self-righteous, we're saying it wrong. We're, we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. We aren't talking about uh, what he's done for us and how much mercy he's had on us. We're probably talking about how these people need to believe to have their sins forgiven and their sins sound a lot worse than ours. Mm-hmm. We're probably talking like Jesus is the entry key to this community and new life, and then there's more. You better behave. Hmm. You got to live up to something else, a different kind of standard, rather than Jesus is this whole new life. You cannot be self-righteous if instead of proclaiming yourself and your system, you are proclaiming Jesus. So let's put a finer point on this. Um, what if I myself am not on the straight and narrow path? Am I still 
qualified to bring someone back to the truth? After all, who am I to call another person a sinner? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, this depends on what you mean by straight and narrow path. Right. So if you are double-minded and shifty like the wind and the waves, as James describes in chapter 1, then actually no, you aren't qualified to bring someone back to the truth or to call them back to the truth. Now, God might still use you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of people who were brought to the faith by people who later walked away from the faith or weren't ever in the faith or weren't even Christians. Mm -hmm. I mean, God used a a weird TV show to, to draw me to his word. So, I mean, if the well, what was that TV show? <laughs> Northern Northern Exposure. Northern Exposure. Oh, that's right. No, May 18th, I remember that. 1992. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's good. <laughs> if if but here's the thing, if the straight and narrow path um is is the path of wanting Jesus more or mm-hmm. at least wanting to want Jesus more, the path of confessing and repenting of sin and then confessing and repenting of the same sin the next day and the next day and the next day, if it's the path of enjoying your sin less and less and growing in your awareness of your need for grace, if that's the path you're on, then you are eminently qualified to bring someone back to the truth and to call someone back to the truth. Mm-hmm. If sinners can't call other sinners, then no one gets called. Hmm. Right? Paul says God gave us these treasures in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay. Right? He is determined to use sick patients to bring other sick patients to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So who better than a sinner to call a sinner back to the truth of the gospel? So how would you respond to someone who says, um, I didn't leave God, he left me? Hmm. Yeah, I would want to ask a lot more questions uh, mm. before saying much at all, right? I mean, there's a, there's a, a big story there, right? Yeah, right. Um, and, and I'd want to hear that. And, and if, if someone is telling that story, oftentimes it comes from a, a place of serious hurt or loss uh, that the person experienced that you know God presumably allowed. Uh, or it could be a lack of God's felt presence in their lives. Life just kind of moved on and developed without God. And in these situations and, and others like them, sooner or later, for, you know, if, if I'm in conversation with them, the conversation will come around to Jesus, yeah. um, that he hurt and suffered uh, to make an end of hurt and suffering, uh, that in the incarnation God took on flesh in Jesus. So, so he is present in and cares about our particular lived situations. And so whatever kind of, uh, you know, conclusions these people have drawn from their stories, actually Jesus interrupts those, at least challenges those conclusions. The question is, is Jesus relevant for this person's life? And unless they have solved for the problem of death, and they are exactly the kind of person they want to be, and the world is as it should be in their minds, Mm -hmm. then the claims about Jesus are relevant to their situation and deserve more thought and investigation. So again, it, it's about, you know, in, in ongoing discussions and a, a caring friendship, it's about figuring out a way to help people see Jesus in a more accurate light and how mm-hmm. relevant and compelling he really is. Yeah. So what makes someone a good Christian? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you put this in the intro. I did, because, I mean... yeah, because you, you asked that question— yeah, I think, right? it was the, in the question for community groups, yeah, and it's, right. a, it's a trick question, right? Um, you know, I think you I love think those. I do. Yeah, I think I think the moniker "good Christian" is a very unhelpful term, mm-hmm. right? Because it conveys a kind of hierarchy or competition among Christians. Paul's right. very explicit in Romans twelve and in First Corinthians three and four that we are to compare ourselves to ourselves and use the measure of faith that we've been given uh, to ourselves and not to others. Um, 
So some people hear this and, and they get a little concerned that I'm saying that there is no striving or advancing in the Christian life, that there's, there's no progressive or, or practical sanctification, and, and that's mm-hmm. not so. Um, we are always to be pushing ahead and pressing on, like Paul says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. We want to press on and strive to know the Lord, like the prophet Hosea says. But the thing is, the more striving to know, the more you press on in the heavenward call in Christ— the more conscious you become of your own sin, the humbler you become, hmm. the more aware you are that God is working in everyone's life, and each story is uniquely beautiful, and that we all can continue to grow in joyful obedience. Those doing this would be very uncomfortable with the term good Christian. Hmm. So thinking of yourself as a good Christian can lead to as much complacency as thinking that there is no point in trying or striving. If you think you're good, then, then you've arrived, and the journey is over. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, today, we can know Christ. We can know Christ today in a new way. We can know him in the power of his resurrection by becoming like him in his death and sharing in this fellowship of sufferings. Today, we can do that. We can go deeper into Christ today, no matter where you're starting from. So you don't need any titles or designators. Just get to it. The Father mm-hmm. loves you more than you know. You cannot gain more of his love or lose it. So get out there and know Jesus. So are you saying that, that Christianity is not a meritocracy? <laughs> it's definitely, def- thank God, thank God <laughs> thank it's God not a meritocracy. Which is amazing, actually. It is one of the, the reasons that Christianity is different, right? Many, many religions are based on merit. You know, and besides that, Matt, I would say that much of what we think about America and the American dream is based on merit, too. Right. And so, you know, there there are ways that the gospel really rubs against American culture and American individualism, mm. and I think we need to re- we need to remember this. Yeah. Definitely. So, uh throughout this letter, James encourages his listeners to live consistently Christian lives. In other words, he says, if you call yourself a Christian, act like one. Does James set in the bar unrealistically high? Well, I guess I would say yes and no, um, in the sense, um, you know, none of us will fully arrive until we have shed this mortality, right? Again, mm-hmm. like Paul says, not that I've attained all this. Um, so there will always be room to grow. Um, James will always be relevant uh, for every Christian, right? It's not like you graduate from James mm-hmm. once you get really righteous. And so in that sense, the bar is unrealistically high. But on the other hand, if we have God's Spirit dwelling in us, there's no limit to how we can grow and the ways that we be- can become more and more consistent with our Christian confession. So I guess what I'm saying is setting the bar at perfection and holiness like Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and mm-hmm. James is really in many ways following that. When you see that, people can throw up their hands and ask, well, what's the point? And if anyone says or thinks that they've achieved it, note that person and avoid them, right? So, so mm. setting the bar this high can, can lead to either sort of resting in self-righteousness or just kind of giving up. Right. But but James and Jesus' high bar is really an invitation to an, an amazing adventure. There's always more to learn, more ways to grow, more things to discover. And, and I liken it to, you know, stepping foot on a North American continent before any humans were here, right? This mm-hmm. virgin wilderness continent. And, and there's a whole continent to explore. There's forests and grasslands and clear blue lakes and gushing rivers. There's a grand canyon, mm-hmm. beautiful sunrises over the desert, majestic mountains. You will never get to the end of the beauty that God has for you in this life. 
as you walk with him, as you follow him. It is, it is the best adventure you can imagine. And to just sit on the shore because it's too much or too hard mm-hmm. or you've got better things to do, it's crazy. It's such a waste. So the high bar is a gift, mm-hmm. and it's an invitation to us. You know, this may be off topic, but does that adventure continue in the afterlife? I mean, do we continue to grow and learn uh, in, uh, in, our, in our time in, in the afterlife? It's way off topic, Matt, but um, <laughs> I think so. And, and yeah. you know, we can only sort of uh, guess at these kinds of things. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting that, you know, God, the, the story in Scripture, as opposed to almost every other faith system, the story in Scripture is linear and not circular and cyclical. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it starts with Adam and Eve in this garden, and their job is to fill the earth and subdue it and, and bear God's image across the globe. And, um, and, and that, that we are still in the middle of that story, right? Jesus mm-hmm. came to, to uh, enable that story to continue for us to walk with God uh, and see him uh, like Adam and Eve did and, and be in peace uh, with him and with each other and with creation. That story is still happening and unfolding, um, and then when the new heavens and new earth are here, when the, when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down here and, and our earth is is purified and, and we have our resurrected bodies, it it doesn't seem like that's then just sort of the terminal point, mm-hmm. and and history is over and and that's all. It seems like this the, the the creative activity that was interrupted has now been put back into place, and we will continue on, whether mm-hmm. that's on Earth or whether that's you know across the solar system and the universe. I don't know, but it seems like this will continue, that there is this infinite uh, ordering, beautifying, fructifying, uh, imaging God uh, ever newer places. I I think that will continue. Mm -hmm. See, I think that was a worthwhile diversion. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) So let me ask you this then, back on track. What is the difference between being a Jesus admirer and a Jesus follower? Yeah, this comes from my uh, that illustration that I yeah. gave. Um, you know, I, I think that both an admirer and a follower can really like Jesus, and they can appreciate what Jesus has done and want to model their lives off of his. But a follower is someone who will pick up their cross. A follower will count the cost and then go for it. Hmm. An admirer keeps a respectful distance from Jesus. An admirer is happy for Jesus to stay in his lane. You know, like an admirer thinks, we need extreme people like Jesus. You know, we need these incredible examples. But, you know, stay in your lane, Jesus, right? right. <laughs> you, you Stay right. put and do your thing. I'm, gl- I'm so glad you're there. Yeah. Right? Whereas a follower wants their lives changed. They want Jesus, you know, out of his lane and into their lane and, and to drag them back into his lane, right? A follower mm. wants to be with Jesus, right. really with him and to know him. A follower wants to learn to consider everything else rubbish, in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, their Lord, right? And so the question for us is, are we more admirers or followers? Do we use Jesus as some kind of a numbing agent or comforting agent, or is he the Lord of our lives and and the most compelling truth in the universe? Hmm. So uh, the book of James has been controversial throughout history. Many say it lacks grace— is his letter graceless? No, uh, but you do need to look a little for it and, mm-hmm. and pay attention in a few key spots. 
And what I pointed out in in the sermon is that the emotional center of the letter comes in chapter 4, where James gets worked up about his people's wicked desires and infighting. And, but it's right there that he says, but God gives more grace, hmm. right? So it's God's grace is what we need for change, right? When we, when we see just these inordinate desires at war within us. And it's God's grace that will save our souls from death and cover over our sins. So in James, we see it as grace that starts us in the Christian life. Chapter one, it's the word of truth that gave us new life, that gave us new birth. It is grace that enables us to grow in the Christian life, chapter four. And it's grace that sees us through our physical death and final judgment in chapter five, right? Hmm. The covering of sins and the and the saving our souls from death. That's grace. And so if this letter doesn't drive you to your knees in conviction of sin and lead you to ask for grace and mercy mm. from God, right, then you're not paying attention. James convicts us of sin and points us to the solution of our sin beyond ourselves. It's in our loving Heavenly Father and His glorious Son, Jesus Christ. So I, I think grace is always there, and grace is definitely in the background. James isn't doing a lot of theology. James mm. is doing a lot of practical application from this theology of grace and the gospel we have in Jesus. But James is not advocating works righteousness, right? Absolutely not, no. I mean, because yeah. what he says is our sins need covering, mm-hmm. right? And that ain't going to happen by us. Good. So, Bob, as we wrap up this sermon series in James, which has been great, uh, what are some of the key takeaways you hope people remember? Yeah, you know, the the title of our series was, So What? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get at what seems like James' main point, that faith works, right? Faith is active. Mm-hmm. If you have faith, it should change your life. He is attacking cheap grace and easy believism. And, and so James kind of does that by circling around a few main themes, and he comes back to them several times, a few main themes throughout his letter as to how this faith is lived out. Uh, the way that we approach trials and hardship, right? We trust God is doing good in and through them. We trust God for wisdom to get us through them. We wait for God to do justice, Uh, or the way we approach money. We don't boast in our wealth or career or business. We don't let those plans overtake God's plans, right? We don't show partiality to people who look like they're more successful in this world. And we use our resources to care for others, particularly widows and orphans. And then we also pay attention to our words. How are we using our tongues to curse or to bless? Do we make excuses? Do we talk behind people's backs? Do we talk out of both sides of our mouths? Do we distort Mm. the truth? Uh, Or do we use our words to build others up? And then finally, we need to recognize the war of desires raging within us. Like Jesus talking about the root and fruit, do we see that temptation comes from our desires, that we are attracted to friendship with the world? Hmm. And it's these worldly desires that would keep us from pursuing those who've wandered away. But if we want to follow, if we want to be more and more slaves of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, as James calls himself— then we will go after wanderers because Mm. our souls have been saved from death and our sins have been covered. So, you know, James is taking what the rest of the New Testament says about faith and about the gospel, and he is really trying to give some very, very specific applications in just a few areas of our lives. And and he he writes it and he says it in such a way that it's pretty striking. And it's pretty convicting. And so I think, you know, James is a, a very, very important addition in the, the New Testament uh, corpus, and, and it's so valuable for us as a, 
as a congregation to study? Yeah, it was striking. It was convicting. Um, that's an excellent summary to a very good sermon series. And I thank you and Stephen for doing that. And Bob, thanks for your time again this morning. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, excellent. The title of Bob's sermon is Mission. It's the last sermon in our series from the book of James. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We'd love to have you join us for Sunday's, uh, our in-person outdoor worship. We meet at 11 a.m. in the courtyard of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. Look for that sign-up email from one of our pastors. If you're not getting those emails, we would encourage you to visit our website, again, gracesouthbay.com, and click on the Connect button at the top. Fill out the Connect card, and one of our pastors will reach out to you. You can also submit a prayer request using the prayer button at the top of the website. If you can't join us for in-person worship, we are live streaming our services on Facebook and YouTube. So join us at 11 or whenever is convenient for you because you can access the service anytime afterwards. We are really glad that you're tuning into these podcasts and we hope that these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, We've got pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away, and we really do hope that you reach out. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB Podcast, so stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.